Well, good morning, sir. Good morning. It is a nice day today. It was raining all day yesterday and all last night. They were calling for rain all this week. But I have semi, well, not really clear skies. It's more like cloudy skies with little holes here and there that gives you those piercing beams of light. <laughs> yeah, you painted a picture with your words right now. I mean, think about it. It gets right into the topic that we're going to talk about today, about the season of hiddenness, and how sometimes in those seasons of hiddenness, there are moments where there's like this little piercing light where God gives us a glimpse of things, but he doesn't give us the whole picture. And we talked about several weeks ago how we have just come out of this season where there have been many people that are in this place of being hidden. Even some of them where they were hidden from themselves. They knew they were called of God, but they really didn't know the details. They, they didn't have the inside scoop. And you and I have talked off and on about how we have several friends that we all were trained in seminary together. And we did not necessarily launch out immediately, but we now recognize because of where God is taking us and how he is launching us into our ministries and launching us into the path that he has for us, that there was a season for where we've been. Mm. And that if we'd moved too quickly into his thing, that maybe we, we really would have gotten off track. Yeah. You know, that's and it. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of times when we go through life and we have this knowing, we have this understanding of something, but we can't quite put our finger on it. We can get discouraged. And the enemy can see that, and he can play games with our minds. He can really start to make you doubt yourself. Are you really called of God? Are you really called to do this? Are you really called to reach the lost? Are you really called to prophesy? Are you really called to heal the sick? Are you really called to be an evangelist? Are you really called to missions? Whatever it is that you're called to do. He really likes to play games with your mind to try to get you off track. Because if he can get your focus completely off of what God has already declared over you, while you don't have that clear picture, then he can derail you from that those railroad tracks, those figurative railroad tracks that you should be on. And the reason I say railroad tracks is a train has a fixed path. And if it gets derailed, it's ineffective. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not like a car where you can drive on different roads. A railroad, unless there's a track interchange, you're not yeah. deviating from the path that you've got. That's good, brother. That's good. Yeah, as you're yeah, speaking, man. as you're speaking, what I keep hearing is preparation. And come on, very, very, very important because if you look at the life of David, we notice that when he faces Goliath. That's what most people know him for, David and Goliath, the famous story. And that's really kind of like a highlight or a peak in his life, David and Goliath. It's, it's actually like his coming out moment out of the hidden place, so to speak, right? Coming out moment. But there was a lot that transpired behind closed doors in the backside of a wilderness somewhere watching some sheep way before he ever had that coming out moment with Goliath. And it's God and his providence. You know, David says, to Saul right before he goes to fight Goliath, 
you know, there's a line that came against these sheep with my father, and God delivered me from, from that line. I, I, with my bare hand, took care of the line. It was a bear that came against the sheep. Same thing. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be the same way. And I think what happens is, number one, those are preparation steps. Those are preparation steps for what God was going to use David for in the future. But it was in a hidden place. It wasn't in the place where he got accolades for it or he had people praising his, singing his praises uh, based off of the lion and the bear situation. But those were stepping stones and preparation points for what God was going to do in his life and his ministry in the future. And I think a lot of times what we do is when the proverbial lion or bear comes against us in our hidden place, we tend to get upset at the lion and the bear. Well, why is this coming against me? And why is God allowing this? Not realizing that it's that very thing that's opposing us that God's going to use to thrust us into that coming out moment, whatever that may be in our lives. And so I, I love that God, he, he's got this providential preparatory focus on us, is that the things that are going on in our lives right now, even the opposition and the problems and the, the circumstances that seem like they're opposing us, they're actually pushing us and thrusting us into the destiny that he's called us to. That's so good. I mean, the example you use of David is so good. I mean, is, is it really even larger than just the hiddenness that happened whenever he was first being recognized as king by Samuel? Yeah. If you think about it, he then defeated Goliath. He gets brought into the service of the king to help, you know, kind of soothe the king because he was being harassed and tormented by demons. Sure. So. He gets brought into the service of the king. He starts going and fighting with the armies of Israel. And people are singing over David. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. Yeah. And so Saul is starting to get angry. You know, oh, what's going to be hell from him? He's going to be made king. Because he, he starts fearing for his own self and his life. Because tradition back then, and many times today, is when one leader is overthrown, that leader is killed and whoever supports yeah. him. In that time, it was his family. Sure. So Saul feared for his family and his legacy. However, David withdrew to the wilderness. He did not take his place immediately, even though he knew he was already confirmed as he was going to be the next king. He withdrew to the wilderness so that he could honor the one that was before him, the one that already had been given authority, the one who was already anointed of God, <coughs> not allowing himself to put his hand against the king who was anointed by God. Mm. Even though the king had rejected God, even though the king had turned to his own ways, David still recognized and honored that which God had already ordained, yes. which is very important. Excellent. Now, the other thing is David had to, and I'm very sure, he had to fight himself. I mean, we don't think about this, but think about it. There was that one season in David's life where he came in contact with Saul, and they were in a cave. And to be quite frank about it, most likely Saul was in there to relieve himself. Yeah. Which means yeah. he was in there to go use the bathroom. Yeah. So he was in a very vulnerable state. David sees the man that's trying to kill him on multiple occasions, and he had his chance. Yeah. So he goes and takes a, hit, a corner of his his garment, most likely the backside, 
which would be dishonoring in that culture. And the moment he did it, he was convicted about what he did, and he yeah. stood up from a distance, and he repented to the one who was trying to kill him. Wow. wow. He repented to the one who tried to kill him. He didn't think twice, woe is me, oh, this man's been trying to kill me. No. He started to repent. He apologized. He said, I was wrong. And Saul recognized the humility. And for a moment, he stayed himself. And he backed off and left David alone. Brother, that's so good, man. And you very eloquently put that. I mean, just in a, in a very it's a concise manner. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that what we're seeing here is in the hidden place, God is not only concerned with preparing us for the future, but he's also concerned with our attitude when we're in that hidden place. Come as on. we're being prepared. Unpacked and we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing with David that his attitude is one of submission, was one of humility, while he's waiting. And imagine this, as my brother just put it, he had the word. He had the word. You're going to be the next king. And this is not a word from just a man. This is a word directly from God. God used Samuel to give him this word. He knows that he's going to be the next king. But he also had that spiritual wherewithal to realize that during that time, he was going to have to submit to authority until God opened the door and it was his timing for him to be king. And so I think you know, another... Time... Go ahead, brother. No, you know, go right ahead. Now, I was going to say, a lot of times what we do is we we get ahead of God and we think that because he gave us the word, it's automatically right now and it's going to happen now. And, and, you know, God's timing is not our timing. And if we trust him and we wait for his timing, we'll be thrust in in the right moment. Go ahead, brother. I mean, the other, another great example that flows perfectly along with this is the story of the coat of many colors. Joseph gets yeah. the dream favored by his father above all of his brothers. So his brothers already hate him. Just think about your sister or your brother, if you had more than, you know, especially if you had two or three brothers or sisters. I mean, come on. You know, the one that's favored always is kind of looked at as kind of like, ah, oh, come on, really? Him? Yeah. So think about Joseph. He's already favored. And then he gets a dream. And I know we've talked about Joseph before. His family, of course, could interpret dreams themselves because they spent time with God. You know, they had a family that worshipped Jehovah or Yahweh. And so because of that, they knew the character of God. They understood that God was good, that he gave the interpretation. So they they saw the dream. They knew that they were being told that you're going to fall down at my feet and you're going to pay homage to me. And they're thinking to themselves, there is no way... I am going to pay homage to this little punk, ruddy kid. Well, not ruddy, excuse me. This little scrawny kid that, you know, thinks that he's so much better than me. So I'm sure there was this big old attitude that they had painted to themselves and really got angry over this thing. So Joseph gets thrown into slavery, then into jail, and then eventually 30 years go by. And he finally gets to Pharaoh and falls into his destiny. Thirty years. Then we think about Jesus. He's a young lad. 
Mary and Joseph are, you know, going into the city for the, the festival. And they can't find Jesus. Where is he? Then they finally track, track him down. He's in the synagogue talking with the priests. And they're all astonished because he's so, you know, intelligent and so well versed in the law. They yeah. can't figure it out. Well, even though he has that moment, that shimmering moment that he has something else going on, there's still that hidden element because not until Jesus hits 30 years old does he enter into ministry, even though he is God in flesh. He did not circumvent the time of hiddenness. Good. Wow. That's so good. There's so much there. There's so much there to unpack. That definitely one call wouldn't suffice to us to unpack the entire that entire thought. And one thing I'll say that I think is really um, really important. One of the things I, I got from what you were saying was that if you look at Joseph's life, he was really he had a really flush, um, unchallenged kind of uh, charmed life growing up. Oh yeah. You know, you know, he's got the coat of many colors. He's the favorite of his father. Uh, his life is pretty smooth, and there's no real, no real rocking of the boat going on. But it's almost as go. if God, God sees him and says, "You know what? He needs to go through a couple of things before I can put him in the, in this palace situation. He's got to experience hardships. Got to experience these different things." You look at Moses; he was brought up in the palace as well. He didn't know what it was like to be a slave or to go through any of these things that his, his brethren were going through. And it, it was the backside of a desert where he really experienced life. And that, that was a preparatory time, that those 40 years in the wilderness, the backside of the desert. And we know Jesus, he didn't have to. He grew, the Bible says he grew in, in favor with uh, and wisdom with God and man. So go ahead, brother. Well, think about this. I mean, if you are serving underneath a leader, and they have been fed with a silver spoon all of their life. Hmm. Are they really enjoyable to be with most of the time? I'm not saying everyone that's been in that situation is bad. They're not. There's a lot of great, wonderful, wealthy people out there. However, there's also those who have been fed with that silver spoon. And because they've never experienced heartache, pain, or suffering, they are so disconnected from the real world. They cannot understand what's going on. So by Joseph, you know, being in that season of hiddenness, by David being in that season of hiddenness, by Jesus being in that season of hiddenness, they could empathize with the poor, the lowly, the heartache. I mean, I don't believe personally that Jesus was poor at all. I mean, we see that the wise men brought coffers to him. Coffers are basically like caskets in size, and they, it says that they were filled with wealth. So like paying homage to him. So I don't believe that his family had a lot of lack. But if you look at where God took him, he had to go through seasons to where he would withdraw, he would withdraw, even going to Egypt, fleeing for himself, for safety. So he knew what it was to be a man chased. He knew what it was to be someone that people wanted dead. If you think about it, as a young man, you know, he was the reason his mom and dad had to leave their home nation. Yeah. Because if they wanted their son to grow up and have a good life, hey, we're going to have to run off to Egypt to make sure that this crazy king doesn't kill our son. Mm. So 
you know, he went through heartache and he went through trials himself so that he would be able to relate and also so that he would have an understanding of the needs of the people. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's good. You go back to Joseph. I mean, think about him administrating. Only one greater in Egypt was Pharaoh himself. If he was the one administrating all of those grains and all of the food, seven years of famine, and he had no empathy. Wow. 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 I think that's how a dictator has risen up a lot of times. Or they can take the same negative experiences that they've they experience, and they become hardened by them. But I think that God in his wisdom, you know, we, we talk about, uh, I believe it's in Jeremiah, the refiner's fire. Mm-hmm. And God being the potter, I believe it's in Jeremiah as well. He's the potter, you know, and it, the Bible says, you know, how, how, is, the, how is the pot going to say, well, why did you make me this way? Or why did you make me that way? God is in his wisdom. He he knows why he's made us the way he's made us. And he knows what circumstances and situations will will best fit us for the destiny that he's he's uh destined for us. And so we have to trust the process. We have to trust that he's a loving father and that he knows what he's doing. And he's placing us in these situations, not that we become defeated, but he's placing us in the situation that will thrive and will actually overcome. And, you know, I think it's, it's no, notable to see that you don't overcome things in life without being faced with that, that opposition. We, we don't know. We have a spirit of an overcomer in us, but until we're faced with opposition, we're faced with problems and difficulties, that we don't know what it is to overcome. So I believe that God is allowing these things in our lives so that we can walk in that overcoming power. We can walk in that, that resurrected power that, that Christ has provided for us. Oh, yeah. Man, there is so much when it comes to this season of hiddenness that we could cover. Like you said, we do not have enough time to cover it all today on this call. Yeah. But the thing we have to remember is that we cannot get ourselves so focused on the fact that we are not moving into the season that we think we should be in. Instead, we need to be asking God, God, where are you positioning me today? What are you having me to do today? Now, I, like I've said previously, God has already said that there is a, a group of people selves, and those veils have been removed. If you are one of those people, you need to make sure that you are maintaining any prayer life and a devotional life so that, so that properly here. Clarity comes only when you stay in a close proximity to him will you understand what he is saying to you. I mean, both you and I, both Andre, have had times in our life where we allow distraction to get the best of us. And in those times, we had the hardest times understanding what we're to do. And that I, I'm not going to speak for you, but I know for myself, those are the seasons when I was like, what's going on? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, and in those seasons, it was like the enemy could see it and that he would use it to introduce confusion. But the moment that I stopped allowing the confusion and I began to engage in a relationship with God, seeking him first, it was like the the word just was like a water that would cleanse me and wash away all those concerns. And all of a sudden, it was like those concerns were no longer 
relevant. Even yeah. though there were questions about where should I be, it wasn't so detrimental anymore. It wasn't so rock shaking or earth shaking. Instead, it was, okay, God, I know that I'm where I need to be. I know something else is coming, but here we go. Let's, I'm, I'm rocking with this thing. Yeah. And now where I'm at is I know where he's taking me. Why? Because I've stayed in that secret place. I've stayed in that close proximity, and I've aligned myself with the flow that he has for me. And we've got to make sure that we consistently stay in the presence of God to maintain that close proximity so that as he speaks to us, we can see where his flow is going and we can maintain a proper alignment for our lives with where he's having us to go. Does that mean that, you know, any of us are going to immediately quit our jobs and say, oh, ministry time now? No, I would not recommend that unless you have a word from God. You know, the Lord will order your steps. He will guide your steps. I love the way Jesse DePlanis says it when he's taking up a tithe and offering. He says, I'm not going to ask you for money you don't have. So in the same way, if you do not currently have the skill set that you need, he is going to begin to work with you. He's going to begin to prepare you. He's going to prepare uh, the way you think, the way you act. He's going to start showing you the little foxes that are in the vine so that when you get into the ministry, you're not having to deal with those foxes that are spoiling the vine when you're in the thick of working for him, because he wants that dealt with beforehand. That's good, man. That's good. It doesn't mean that we can't move prematurely into things, but it means that he wants us to be ready. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to succeed in all that we do. So we have to maintain and make sure that we are assured in him. Good. Well, that's so good, man. So good. You know, I, I take a picture of you imagine a roast in the oven. Mm. If you take if you take out that roast before it's ready. There you go. It's not gonna be good. There's a certain time it's gotta stay in there for a certain amount of time before it's ready. But once it's ready, that roast is tasty and it it's just good. Everybody can eat. So I think we're like that That's roast it. a lot of times. God knows he's got his he's got his hand on that dial. Even though it's hot in that oven, it doesn't feel good. He's preparing us. And he knows exactly when it's time to pull that roast out the oven. So what we need to do, and this, our job is to trust. His job is to make, mold, and shape us the way he wants us to be. Our job is to trust. Trust the process. Trust the potter's hand. It is a lot more hair, brother. I think we're going to have to really uh, pick this one up again. There's a lot more hair. Oh, yeah. I do think we're going to probably have to wrap it up today. The Lord is so good. His mercy is so, so good. What I love about the Lord is that even in the times where we mess up or we screw up, royally messing things up, he still has enough grace to wash over. His grace is not only there to forgive us of sins, but his grace is there to where it will strengthen us in our time of need and also provide a way a way from those things that can make us fall into sin, temptation, or even distractions. So we can't put a limit on the grace that God has given us. The grace is so much larger than just Uh, grace for forgiveness of sins. I, for one, am so thankful for His grace because I know on my own I am not capable, but I know that through Him and the strength that He gives me that it makes me 
able to withstand the attacks of the enemy, to move forward in the path that he has for me, and to stay in the flow that he has created for me. So, guys, we just want to encourage you in the Lord. We want to encourage you just to get into the presence of God, stir up that gifting that he's given you, just like uh, Paul tells Timothy, to stir up the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. So, guys, Stir yourself up in your faith. Stir yourself yeah. up in the things of God. Don't allow yourself to get downtrodden or uh, stressed out about things. But instead, in those moments where you start to feel stressed or heartache or even a little depressed, begin to praise God. The Word says that praise steals the avenger, which means that it actually removes the power that the enemy has over you. Yeah. So just press into God in those moments when it gets tough. I know the, the hardest moments of my life, God started prompting me to praise him, and I did not want to do it. I almost, would, at moments, almost refused to. But as I would begin to praise God, the power the enemy had over me would break, and the peace yeah. would overflow. It would overwhelm me like a flood, to the point of where the enemy had no more room to stand. Well, guys, we never want to close up one of these calls without the opportunity for you guys to come to know the Lord. And we, we definitely want to lead you in a prayer. So, brother, would you like to lead these fine folks in a, in a prayer? Yes, yes. I'm going to share this really quick, and then we're going to wrap this up. Sure. Uh, my pastor yesterday, Pastor Jeff Lickwire, got to give a shout-out to him. He shared this analogy and talking about the forgiveness of sin that we have in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is our mediator. Right? A mediator is a go-between. A mediator is someone that reconciles two parties. So you have one party and the other party, and they're, they're estranged for whatever reason. What the mediator does is he, he creates reconciliation between the two parties and brings them together. We literally, as believers, have the best lawyer in the universe. The Bible says that we're enemies of God when we don't know him. We're enemies. And whether you realize it or not, if you don't know Christ, you're literally an enemy of God. The Bible doesn't say that he's an enemy, he's your enemy. The Bible says that you're his enemy. In other words, because of the sin that we've committed, we're in a position of being an enemy, uh, uh, God's enemy. But Christ, he's that perfect lawyer. Imagine going to a lawyer who has never, ever, ever lost a case, and he's willing to represent you. You go to this lawyer, he says, I'm willing to represent you. The only condition is you have to tell me everything that you've done. And as soon as you do, I'll take your case and I guarantee you victory. And that's what Christ offers you. He is that lawyer. He is the representative. He's the mediator that stands between God and man. And so basically it's as simple as this. Receiving him, confessing your sin, recognize that you're a sinner. Recognize you've blown it. Recognize that you're not perfect. You go to him. And you ask him to take take that sin, and he gives you this great exchange. He gives you his righteousness. He puts you in right standing with God, and he creates that mediation process. And you have a clear, open heaven in you and God. So we'll pray this prayer. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you that you sent him as our mediator, as our lawyer, as our go-between. We thank you, Lord, that you've created a way where there was no way. And I confess that I have sinned, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of your grace, that I'm in need of your mediation. I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to exchange now my sin for your righteousness. 
I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, those of you out there who prayed that prayer, we believe that if you prayed that, you meant it, that you're born again, that now you're in right standing with God himself. What we encourage you to do is get into a Bible-believing church, somewhere where the Word of God is taught unashamedly, and link up with other believers. We believe that God's going to take you on a, the most incredible journey of your life.